hacer el Ejazam. All right, here we are. I'm here with Ryan, and we're talking comics. We're doing Hello. our top five of the year. And yes. I guess, actually, before I push it to you, uh, I didn't even know if we were going to do a top five this year because I had stopped getting, I guess I had stopped getting so many uh, free comics and it stopped working around comics. And I guess, I don't know, I guess, like, what, what did you think going into this? Like, did you think we were going to do one? Honestly, because of that, I wasn't sure if you were going to be up for it. Uh, not to mention the fact that for me personally, um, I've had a very uh, strange year so far. Um, you know, we did our midway uh, mm -hmm. year picks um, ever. And since that time between then and now, um, I lost my job. I was laid off from uh, two jobs this year or technically yeah. in 2023. And that it's never really happened, especially considering that it was the same job or actually it was two different jobs in the same spot with the same type yeah. of field. And now I'm starting a third version of that same type of job in that same spot, but with a older boss. You're so, like Dr. Who. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you just um, keep, uh, yeah. I mean, if, if people want to throw like uh, digital rocks at us or something for me, <laughs> right, but this is the comic episode. I feel like we're yeah. like free. We're free to say, yeah. like that yeah. but yeah. i will also add that um because of the fact that things have been so kind of a little chaotic i've been buying a lot less mm -hmm. um and more often than not if i really want if i dig something and i figured well i like the first issue but i think i'm gonna just wait for trade there's very few yeah. books on here that i have that i don't i might not have already just decided to buy in a trade because mm -hmm. i was like okay why the hell not um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's I can already tell that's where my buying is shifting to. I mean, one, like uh, I was getting free comics every month, but two, <laughs> uh, I feel like it's like by seeing what was coming out all the time and also having uh, income with having a job uh, that I was buying single issues. So, yeah, I've switched kind of back to doing trade paperbacks uh, again. And so that that's kind of like change that colors, like how where my list goes as we go for. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of allowing that because I think as a whole, like what we've done across these episodes, uh, we've kind of like tried to highlight kind of a run, like kind of when we say like our favorite comic. I mean, there's not really a ton of rules of what we're saying. I guess the only rule mm -hmm. is it has to have come out this year. Uh, yeah. But sometimes I feel like I'm considering a whole run. A lot of times, you know, I would say that so, counts. Yeah. Yeah. There so, were some titles that came out in 2022 that didn't see collection until 2023, or they might have began at the end of 2022 and then bled over into the next year. Yeah. Um, so like one that's not on my list, for example, um, almost made it was um, uh, Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow by Tom King. Okay. Um, I don't think that officially came out in trade until I want to see the beginning of the year. Correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody's listening to this, but um, I almost considered putting that on here until I was like, ah, that's kind of cheating. But at the same yeah. time, in retrospect, I'm like, mm, you know, it's fine. There was a ton of other stuff worth talking about anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so actually, let's just go straight I'm very to you. I'm very curious, by the way, about how much overlap we have. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I think I tried to consider. One. I think I tried to consider what you picked last time, and then I tried to, you know, I tried to push against it. We'll see. I guess because I don't know anything that's on your list, so you yeah. may be surprised on uh to see about what's on there. And speaking of what's on there, my number five was on my midway year picks, and that is World Tree. Mm -hmm. Uh, still really liking this book. Um, as I've talked about before, probably one of the creepiest books on stands right now. James Tinian is a great writer, very rarely, if ever, misses. Um, he has written a ton of other great stuff. Um, Department of Truth, something that's killing the children. Um, I believe he also wrote Blue Book, did he not? Um, yeah, and I think yes. that has, I, I think I didn't realize when I was kind of talking about that last time. Uh, because some of the issues were kind of coming out when we talked mm -hmm. about it is that I didn't realize that it was like based on like kind of true stories. So, yeah. so I'm not sure if it'll do like a silver coin thing where they uh, kind of push that to other writers in different mm -hmm. series, uh, you know, but, but yeah, I didn't really 
I liked what I read of Blue Book, but for whatever reason, I could have, it's not, it didn't seem to be quality, but for whatever reason, it didn't like stick in my top. Yeah. But I, but I do think that that is definitely one to mention. Yeah. But World well, Tree, yeah. though, yes. yeah. I will say that, yeah, by the way, it is uh, written by James Tiny in the fourth and mm -hmm. artwork by Fernando Blanco. Artwork is, it's kind of hard to describe it. It's, feels like it's almost a little bit of some like watercolor technique going on there yeah. but it's a very violent looking book with uh definitely some very provocative images in here mm -hmm. um it's not there's no shortage of uh some bloodshed as well as also a main villainess who is to put it lightly uh, uh letting her freak flag fly i guess yeah. as they say um which is life force uh, yes, if yes. Knows good that. comparison. Um, yeah. But yeah, basically the concept of it is um, around the late 90s, this kid and his friends discover something called the Undernet, which is mm -hmm. essentially something that may or may not drive you to do horrible, violent crimes. Yeah. Um, it's an unseen entity that lurks beneath even the darkest regions of the Internet. There's a lot of stuff in here that uh, it's there's a lot of parallels here between what you know, what makes people afraid, afraid of what their kids might discover online and about what it could potentially drive them to do. Um, mm -hmm. And this isn't, you know, this isn't like a fear of like a discovering some asshole, like a, uh, like a fucking uh, Ian Miles Chong or some shit like that, <laughs> or that, uh, or that fuck, fuck bag from uh, Andrew Tate. It's not quite on like that level. This just, this is a more of a fear of like, this could turn you into a sociopath or turn you into like a, really legitimately like horrifying person but it's yeah. a it's a really good book i know the second arc just started uh i'm going to probably pick that up uh when uh ironically enough when that comes out in trade um but so far yeah i it's still on my list it was at my midway point of the year list and it's still on there but it's just down at number five now yeah, I, well, it's funny. Uh, we were like, I don't know, we'll intersect. So that was also on my list, uh, World Tree. And I tried to actually <laughs> keep it off because I know we covered it last time, but it was just like too good to like pass up, you know, like I so, know. like I feel like I it stuck with me. Addictive the covers of too. <laughs> yeah, the covers are great. The Yeah, like you were saying, you know, um, so there's, yeah, the art by Fernando Blanco and then colorist Jordi Belair, if I said that correctly. It was a, it was uh, a great colorist, by the yeah. way. And I feel like this is it's it seems silly, but like especially with having work kind of in comics in terms of like all that bullshit. But uh, but like basically this just now this year kind of really understanding what the role of a colorist can do. Um, and I feel like it's you see it. You definitely see it with something like World Tree. So, so since we're mentioning that, I won't bring it up again uh, with World <laughs> Tree. But what I will mention is that uh, it's not dissimilar to Hellraiser Hell World, and we may have even brought that up last time. You did, uh, yeah. But the thing I realized about Hell World just now is that Henry Cavill was in Hell World. I, which when I did my <laughs> when I did my Hellraiser marathon for my horror uh, marathon one year. Um, it completely skipped me when I was like watching that because I just remember the whole time watching it going like, "Good Lord, it's a piece of shit." Yeah, it's um, a bad movie. but uh, but I was more confused by the fact that the plot kind of seems to get tangled up with itself. But mm -hmm. looking back on it, I'm like, "Holy shit!" You know, Superman was in that movie. Yeah, he was. <laughs> All right, <laughs> and Lance so then, Henriksen. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, always welcome, uh, Lance Henriksen. I feel like I remember him being good in it, but I also think. Mm -hmm it's like the bar was really low, but yeah. it's always good to see him. Even if like a movie is just like not good. Yeah. So, all right. So I guess it's on to me. Yes. Uh, you're number five, sir. I didn't really pick an order. So hmm, I'll just make one up right now. Um, I, I feel like it's like by sheer fact of it being Marvel, I don't want to put this number one, but I was very happy uh, of its existence. And what I'm going to mention I... I have a feeling now, I know what this is. Is uh, okay, Predator versus Wolverine. <laughs> so it's like there, it, it's kind of like it's like a Freddy versus Jason situation where it's like you kind of like wish it could happen your whole life and you kind of just like assume it won't because what's the point of it really existing? 
but uh, they make it make enough sense in the plot throughout the issues. And I think what was fun with it, and I'm really not the type of collector to do this. Uh, I even struggle to call myself a collector, but I guess I am. Um, is but you that are a predator so fanatic? Many, yeah, they uh, they have AKA so many a man really, of culture. They have so many cool uh, variants for this. Oh yeah. Issue. Yeah, just like, for number number one alone had an insane amount of variant covers and they yeah. were all great yeah and that they're, one they're, was my favorite yeah the the kind of nod to uh what hulk 181 is that the the one yes um and yeah, yeah and so also kind of the s same kind of nod but uh mm -hmm. the reverse of it so one with predator one with wolverine and vice mm -hmm. versa so kind of by the just the care that was taken with this concept uh because some of the thing that kind of keep bumming me out with a lot of these uh, new Marvel series like Predator and Alien going to Marvel is the covers are often great. But then when you look inside, it almost looks like AI art. The Alien yeah. one has been like that, like really bad. Yeah. And I was super excited I, I for any. I dropped off stuff. the Alien titles. I just was like, I'm not feeling this. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but I had a lot of fun with predator versus Wolverine. It, um, it probably it's, just based it's entertaining. on my, yeah. Based on my love of predator, it almost would have been number one, but, but I feel like I don't really want to give that spot to anything Marvel unless it like truly earns it because I think there's just usually, and that's to no discredit of like the writer, Benjamin Percy and art by Ken Lashley. This, this was, this was a run that, Prove me wrong on that kind of like Marvel sleepwalking thing. I will say one thing that almost stopped me from continuing. It was when I picked up issue number one and there's several artists in issue number one. Thankfully they do not stick around the entire run um, mm -hmm. because um, in the first issue, they do include artwork from Greg land who I'm personally not a really a big fan of, mm -hmm. um, but every other artist in there, their work I think was quite exceptional. Yeah. Like Jay Lyston. Uh, mm -hmm. I think I mentioned Ken Lashley, Andrea mm -hmm. Devoto and colorist uh, Juan Fernandez and Frank Diarmada. Um, yes. So we're doing this for you, Aaron Piner. Uh, we're making sure that we mention <laughs> the artist, but we should, because I mean, you can't have, you know, a comic without the art. So we should mention it. So, Back to you, Ryan. All right. So my number four uh, is the complete tonal opposite from Predator versus Wolverine. And this is probably one of my best surprises of the year. And I don't know if you'll be able to see what this is. Um, this is Fire and Ice. Welcome to Smallville. Mm, this okay. is a book from DC Comics. And yeah. for those unfamiliar with Fire and Ice, they are, I'm being brutally honest here, they are kind of a, a mid to low tier a couple of superheroes that were introduced as part of the international expansion of the Justice League okay. um, back in like the, the 1980s. Um, their entire shtick is that, you know, it's fire and ice, you know? Yeah. And very on the nose kind of. Yes. Yeah, um, DC thing. yeah. And uh, basically the concept of this book is now there is a tie in comic that leads into this, but you don't need to read it. You just need mm -hmm. to know that they got they did something stupid and essentially they have been not demoted, but more or less been told by Superman say, Hey, look, y'all need to chill out. You did something kind of dumb. It was understandable, but it's still kind of dumb. So he says, go live and stay in Smallville, my hometown for the time being kind of learn some humility, you know, kind of just, you know, become a little bit more grounded. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very fluffy comic. Um, and, but you know what? Sometimes you just want that. Yeah. Um, it's written by, uh, Joanne Starer, who admittedly I'm not super familiar with, but the artwork is very cute, very colorful. Um, the arts by Natasha Bustos and the colors are by Tamara Bonvillain. And it's very, it's very distinctively cartoony. It honestly looks like something that you could probably show your kids. I don't yeah. necessarily know if I'd say it's a comic for kids. Uh, because there are a few moments here and there that just make you go, I don't know about if I should let yeah. a, a kid read this. Like, you know, when fire is trying to get big on social media and starts hiring characters like ambush bug, a character I had not thought about in ages and says like, I need to beat up a guy online to get my reputation back up. And he's like, okay. And he's basically DC's Deadpool, maybe not quite as entertaining, yeah, but, yeah. but more pathetic than cool. I think uh, what I'm also realizing through these episodes is like how much of like a DC 
fan you are, like how deep your knowledge of DC stuff goes. So I will say Fire and Ice, my first merit, my merit, oh, good Lord, I'm sorry. My familiarity with them came through the Justice League cartoon from the 2000s, okay. uh, which yeah. that show has an insane roster of characters that I was only like maybe mildly familiar with, but I was like, okay, who the fuck is Aztec? Who is, you know, uh, who are Hawk and Dove? Yeah. Or like all these characters that they kind of got you a little more, you became a little more familiar with them. Sometimes they might only have like one episode centered around them or they play a bigger role in a larger arc. Um, like the question was a big part of Justice League Unlimited and they did a phenomenal job with him. But this book, though, like I said, it's really nice to see these characters that are essentially C-list characters uh, kind of being bumped up to a little bit of a, a bigger status. Yeah. Um, and it's funny when it comes to DC. And the reason why I'm going to spoil this slightly, but I don't have any Marvel books in my top five. I feel mm -hmm. like Marvel, despite putting out some fun stuff this year, it's been kind of almost a little bit impenetrable. It's been very hard to jump onto something without you going like, Okay, I have to go through what now? Yeah. Um, like it's like when I did that with um X-Men, I hopped on to reading the trade of um House of X, Powers of Ten. Yeah. Thought that was really cool. And then I tried to read some other stuff after that, and I was like, I something's missing here. And now apparently there's a big end of that arc now called like the fall of the house of X, which I was like, okay. Um, but I, I was and then I tried to jump on a Spider-Man, hated that. Um, but overall DC, I think has done a lot more, they've been doing a lot more consistently good work with still welcoming in all the new viewers alike, well, all the new readers alike, excuse me. Yeah. And it's just fun. I mean, like the book is very silly. Um, the fact that they even like, you get to see them fight, like see list villains, like beating up Gorilla Grodd's sister who you're like, Gorilla Grodd has a sister, <laughs> um, and, or like gentleman ghost. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's very fun. Um, I can't wait for this thing to be collected in trade. It, it is a very charming little book, very silly, very pretty. Uh, and the variant covers that came out for this book are also quite beautiful. This variant of issue number one is drawn by Jen Bartel, who I think is an incredible artist. Um, mm -hmm. if you've not searched her work online, then I, you'll find something you'll like. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I guess back to me. All right. So, um, okay. So usually I feel like every year I have to have something by Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips. Uh, so I'm mm -hmm. going to continue on that tradition. Um, and so I, I believe that this is actually, or I mean, it is an offshoot of that Texas blood. So mm. since I've had that Texas blood, I think on every, uh, episode, uh, I'll just keep going with it. So the infield <laughs> gang massacre, mm. um, so I've that seen run, it, but I, yeah. I've seen it, but I haven't read it. But kind of like anything within that universe of, you know, of that Texas blood and anything by Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips. Um, I mean, it's it's a Western. It's like Western crime thing, like Western that gets uh, kind of violent. I feel like a thing that I really enjoy is kind of any comic that isn't specifically superheroes. Like, you know, I, I, I tend to have some, but I am drawn two things that are like just like kind of regular stories like crime stories specifically mm -hmm. uh you know kind of like a brew baker and phillips kind of thing yeah. you know well the son of right here yeah. but you know that kind of deal crime crime stories translate pretty well to comics um you know just because i think there's so much more of an you can expand a story that's already quite interesting yeah. um like something that didn't quite make my uh top five unfortunately because i still haven't finished it was a crime slash murder book that speaking of Brubaker and Phillips um, called where the body was didn't quite make my top five because I haven't finished it yet. Uh, but that's yeah. another one that I was like, this could work as both a regular book book and also work as like a comic book. Yeah, I guess. And on that note, kind of piggybacking off, I'll kind of just include it because it's not it's not part of my five. Uh, but another fun one from this year, a, a book, Night Fever, yep. by Brubaker and Phillips. Yes, <laughs> so great. Just great to kind of bring them up there. Um, yeah, amazing. Kind of like if if I have the money and there's anything Brubaker that comes out, I'm going to try and pick it up. Like it's you won't be let down. Uh, I feel like anything, too, that is like Brubaker doing like a crime story. I'm I'm all over it. So so kind of throwing that in with the infield gang massacre. Uh, you know, call out. So, so yeah, yeah. so there we go. And you continue on your list. 
All right. So my number three. Um, now, we are trying to give credit to as many people as we can when it comes to writers and artists. However, my number three is a book that has one definitive writer for every issue, but has a different artist for every issue. And that is Swan Songs by W. Maxwell Prince. And this was the year where I kind of think I fell in love with the works of this guy. Um, for those that are unfamiliar, mm. he has been writing an ongoing series for several years now called Ice Cream Man, which is a yeah. horror anthology that is, uh, in layman's terms, quite somber, also darkly funny, um, can be, and it can also be uh, sometimes depressing as shit. <laughs> um, but it's undeniably a really good book. It's one of those. It's one of those books that almost, if Swan Songs were not so, I think, unique. Mm -hmm. ice cream man probably could have taken its spot but i wanted to give a shout out to this as my number three because basically the concept of this is that every issue which is drawn by a different artist symbolizes the end of something so the first issue is about the end of the world and they're not all connected they're all separate stories um sometimes he has done thrown little like easter eggs here and there into his other stories from like previous things um but Every issue is drawn by somebody else. This issue that I was holding up currently was drawn by Alex Ekman Lawn. And the first issue is about like the end of the world. And it's about a guy who basically is, is at his mother's side on her deathbed as he reads her, her favorite books, which are like better homes and gardens type magazines. Mm -hmm. And he says, I know that, you know, we only have so much time left. He's like, but I know there's only one more issue. This that was printed before everything went to hell and I'm going to go find it for you. Yeah. And, yeah. but then there's another one, which is like the end of a marriage. The one I'm holding up right now, which has a very sort of cavernous look to, it. I don't know if you can see too well, but it looks like a mm -hmm. face with multi layers. Like yeah. That's that really one's cool. a, that, that one's about the end of anhedonia, which is about essentially, if you're not familiar with anhedonia is, it is the ability to take pleasure in anything so basically you've lost the ability to enjoy anything that you like. And it's something mm -hmm. that I can say I've suffered from before where you just maybe come home and you're like, I don't know if I like doing this anymore. Uh, yeah. What's the point? Um, but it's really a very cool concept. Um, my favorite issue so far has actually been the one that was called the end of a sentence, which coincides with the end of a prison sentence for a character, but also the fact that he is obsessed with Mad Libs. So as he's kind of fooling around with some stuff in there, as he's trying to think about how to sort of tell his story. Partially, Is that issue four? Yes. Okay. Um, that one, if you get a chance to find that is an awesome issue. It ends with one of the best open and it's, it's got a very good open ending that literally is up for you to interpret how to, how to, how to conclude it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that the final issue of this is set to come out within, I think the next week. And that yeah. one is going to have a tie with ice cream man. And it's going to be apparently a parody of where the sidewalk ends by. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. It's uh poems about Indians. Uh, you know, so all, all of these, I guess, like you were saying, they're all written by W. Maxwell Prince. Uh, he also did Ha Ha, which I have yes. some issues of. Yeah, like Ha 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 is very good. Ha Ha yeah. actually also has an Ice Cream Man tie-in in his final issue. And uh, yeah, like I said, so far, I think I've discovered that this is going to be the type of guy who I think is never going to let me down. He's he's kind of almost like a comic version of Stephen King, where yeah. like I'm just like, I don't know how you keep pulling all of these stories out of your head. And every single one of them is different. Every single one of them is unique and they're all equally creepy and all equally bizarre, but I'm, I'm on board. Yeah. Then does that make, uh, I always mispronounce his name. Um, does that make Tenyon Dean Koontz or is, is he actually, uh, <laughs> Stephen King, you know, like, oh. cause I feel, I feel like, uh, with how prolific, uh, Tenyon is, then I, I would almost say He's probably almost the Stephen King of I that say, situation. I would say but... Tinian's like Clive Barker. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess willing to go a little darker with it. Yeah. So like if Clive Barker had Stephen King's, um, you know, kind of like, I guess, dry. But I don't know. Clive Barker does have a shit ton of books, too. So Yeah. So I guess it's almost neck and neck. It's just like Clive Barker's never been. 
it's like as popular because Clive Barker stuff is not really as accessible as, uh, Yeah. yeah, in writing and in the content, but yeah. So, okay. So my pick would have been world tree, but in, so instead I'm going to go to another book and it's interesting with this book and actually I, the rest of the episode until I get to my honorable mentions, spoilers, I guess, um, it will just be image stuff like and the last one was image. And just like every time I do this, I feel like most of the stuff I pick up is image because I feel like they're doing really interesting things. But also, you know, it's like I would want to give credit to like like Dark Horse is still doing really interesting things. Uh, but OK, so the one at hand is Antioch. And that's Mm -hmm. by Patrick Kinlan and uh, Marco Ferrari. And that's by Patrick Kinlan and Marco Ferrari. And that's by Patrick Kinlan and Marco Ferrari. And that's by Patrick Kinlan and Marco Ferrari. And that's
yeah it's it's fun when it's when it's a character like Antioch or like you were saying fire and ice that isn't written to death about yeah so um my number two uh and it's funny because we were talking about before about stuff that started maybe in the previous year bleeding over to now this is an ongoing series that has been going for a little bit of time but it has not stopped it has been consistently good and it's still very charming very fun and also very funny and it is a manga called spy family okay and this is my comfort read. Mm-hmm. This is if I maybe I'm having kind of a, a whatever type of day. Maybe I'm having a little of a bit of a mood swing. This can lift my spirits anytime. And the concept of it is basically it's this elite spy agent named Twilight who is basically tasked with building a family, uh, you know, so to say, so that he can get close to this very notoriously like reclusive individual who may potentially shatter a state of peace between two nations that have been at war. And they tell him like, you have to get in there and get close to him and you have to build a family. He's like, I can't make a family within like a day. He's like, I can't literally make a child, you know, within like one day. So he says, okay, I'm going to go adopt this kid. He coerces this young woman to become like, to basically become his like wife um, it's not, and it's not the way I'm describing it. It sounds creepy and it is. I'm like, it's really not. This is actually has a very like pretty progressive comic. Mm-hmm. Um, but unbeknownst to him, the little girl is a telepath and the wife is a highly trained assassin. What are the odds? I know strange. <laughs> um, but, uh, the little girl in this named Anya is absolutely adorable. Uh, she knows what her dad, her mom, her mom and dad really do. And she's like, they're so cool. Like, I'm not like scared. And she's like, and she's obsessed with this, like sort of like a Batman character on TV. So she takes a lot of influence from that and kind of mm-hmm. thinks of like her dad, maybe is being kind of like that. Um, And he says, okay, I have to try to get basically, I, now I have a family. I have to get them accumulated with you know what we're trying to go do he has to get her enrolled in this like really highly prestigious school and in layman's terms she's not an elegant kid she's kind of a she's kind of a i hate to say because she's a little kid but she's kind of a dumbass um but it is very 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 funny uh it is very memeable it is uh written and drawn by tatsuya endo he has a couple other books out there too that I'm going to try to read that I heard are a little bit more serious, but spy family is definitely more of a comedy than anything else. There are some really good moments in there of, you know, really good thriller moments, some good action moments, but it yeah. is written mostly as a very light, funny book. Um, for example, there's a chapter in there where they go to like a sea world type of deal. And, he has to pose as a penguin trainer to go in there and see that maybe somebody might have accidentally like <laughs> it's gonna sound so silly uh that maybe somebody has rigged a penguin to like explode okay <laughs> and yeah. he has to find out somebody went in there and he's like i got to find out what the hell's going on and uh it's it's very very charming like even people who don't like manga mm-hmm. i think they would still get a kick out of this it's a very memeable book um that it's very very quotable it's very memorable it's kind of hard to not love these characters because they are written to be very relatable even the main character like the spy himself twilight or lloyd forger as he goes by you still are kind of like okay you know what yeah he's he's he might seem like he's a little bit of a hard ass but he actually does have a good heart and he could tell is starting to develop feelings and actually genuine like affinity for this family which he's assembled which actually isn't related by blood yeah yeah all right yeah that sounds a lot of fun uh with okay so i don't read any manga so what would you i mean would that be something you would recommend or what's like something standard that is kind of easy to get into but also potentially challenging enough like that i'll get manga Spy Family is a very easy one to get because there's nothing fantastical in there. There's no like it it seems I don't want to say possible, (laughs) but it definitely has the most 
it's the most grounded manga I've seen in a while. Because previously, prior to that, I was reading stuff like Chainsaw Man, which yeah. is very fun, but a little hard to get into because it is so incredibly strange. Um, another one, which actually is a standalone manga that I almost put on this list, I guess I'll give it as an honorable mention. It's called Goodbye Airy. And that one is a standalone graphic novel slash manga from the creator of Chainsaw Man that mm -hmm. is written and drawn in a way to where it feels like it's shot on a cell phone. Okay. And it's very, including like to the point where you think the artwork looks like flimsy. You're like, did I get a crappy copy of this book? Yeah. And uh, you're like, no, it's supposed to reflect how somebody would be filming something on their camera. Like, you know, like tilting it sideways. And there's that little bit of weird blurriness here and there. Um, mm. That book's that really interesting. That yeah. book's really interesting. That one's all about like a guy who's basically tasked to, essentially film his mom you know in some of her you know last days and it ends up turning into a book about you know a love for cinema and about how to capture the proper moments and know how to wrap up a story properly yeah um, but that one is really really good too not quite top five probably would be number six if i had to put a number six but yeah. in terms of how to get into manga there's a lot of stuff out there if you want something which is still challenging enough to get into um monsters really good as well um helsing is insanely fun albeit very violent um that one you can get now in like oversized uh like hardcovers um yeah. that i actually think you would probably like helsing it's very horror adjacent um kind of a a little bit blade-esque but maybe not quite okay. as uh maybe not quite as uh cool actually yeah. it's a different it's a different type of cool but yeah, I've been I mean, I've been picking up uh, a lot of the new Blade run from Marvel, but mm -hmm. I feel like I'm never really that it's like I, I was getting them, but they, nothing really stuck with me on it. Um, it just kind of was like Blade is cool. But other than that, like, I, you know, I it's mean, that, just that Marvel thing, like Blade I, rocks. But like, I, yeah. I'm just not super into like what I, I mean, some motherfuckers always just trying to ice skate uphill. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so, okay. So two, all right. So I'm going to have two Patrick Kenlin issues and on this, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to sound like a really big super fan, but, um, okay. So there was a book called stringer and, um, so it's like, so this wasn't single issues. This was put into a book and this is like a hardback book. Um, and once again, kind of mentioning, you know, about like crime thriller, it actually says stringer, a crime thriller on it. Um, oh. but it's, it's basically about a tennis pro who is, who is muling drugs, uh, through the tournaments and kind of like gets into a lot of, you know, their crime things, uh, throughout the story. Um, that's kind of like the most simple way I can put it. So, I mean, if you could kind of just imagine, where those stories would lead with like drug dealers and, you know, uh, colorful characters and things. Uh, I think, yeah, I think I would put that as number one. So it's written once again by Pat Kenlin. The art is by Paul Tucker. So you're getting a much different vibe than something like Antioch uh, in terms of the art. And it is closer to a Brubaker Phillips thing. Like, I feel like this could be just like a criminal story, you know, their mm -hmm. run of criminal. Um, so, if anyone said that to me at a comic shop, I would pick up Stringer. So in that regard, if like Reckless or Criminal, if any of that kind of like speaks to you about like Brubaker Phillips or uh, just any of their stuff, then I would say pick up probably most of Patrick Henlon's work or also especially Stringer. It's interesting to kind of like have a story set against like a tennis pro or a, a someone that restrings tennis rackets. That's the guy's job. But uh, he like carries drugs in his bags and stuff and like has to then kind of gets put into a position where he has to carry more or some other drug dealer is going to like fuck him up or something. Um, so, I mean, that that one's really fun. Um, I did notice that what I was using as a bookmark for it was this uh, Circle Jerks handbill uh, <laughs> from like a 90s Circle Jerks show. Um, so yeah, so that, that's Circle kind of Jerks in seven seconds. seems like it'd be pretty fun. Yeah. Circle Jerks with seven seconds. I think it's, this is probably from like the 95 era of Circle Jerks, like, uh, Oddities was the record. It's, it's got a longer title than that, but they're kind of last record before they broke up. But I just thought that that was kind of funny to mention what I had in there, but <laughs> yeah. So 
like I was kind of mentioning earlier in the episode, um, I feel like I'm sliding back toward <laughs> trade paperbacks. Um, and it's just like, it's easier. I, I, I would say overall, maybe it's cheaper, but when you get into like a uh, hardback, these are still a little pricey, but I, I feel like they're worth it because it's an actual book, you know? <laughs> so it's fun. Some books read better, at least it rather I should say some comics read better collected in full. Yeah. Um, for example, like uh, one of my favorite ongoings is Something is Killing the Children by James Tinian. Mm -hmm. And that to me reads better as a trade than it does in the singles. Sometimes in singles, it something about it just doesn't connect as well. And I really wish I knew, knew I could, how to explain why. But yeah. um, either way, but something that I think does read well in both singles, but especially in a trade, which is when I finally decided to say, let me just get this fucking thing and trade, even though I'm about to show you the single issue of it, is my number one pick. Yeah. Uh, my number one pick is Local Man. Okay. I, I think I'm I think I had it in my list last time. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to purposely leave it out. But yeah. that was so hard not to put in there again. Um and so I guess we're we're both uh showing how much like image stuff that we, you know, pick up. But yeah. Local Man was really fun. That kind of like thing of like kind of cast out superhero uh moving to a small town like you know that that feels like glimpses of like you know wild dog and stuff like that those, those yeah. kind of like you know yeah and also those kind of things where they do those covers with local man like i have that special issue and they look akin to like older image stuff so it's yeah. it's definitely firing on all of those levels uh but yeah, Local Man definitely uh, would have been yeah. one of my list. Yeah. And for those who uh, didn't listen to our Midway list, um, that one is a book by uh, Tony Fleece and Tim Seeley, and uh, who I think also both do uh, art in there too, if I'm not mistaken. Or at least I know Tim Seeley, I believe, does some art in there too. Um, but that book is basically a love letter to the absurd like 90s extreme movement that yeah. image spawned with stuff like... Um, you know, like anything that Rob Liefeld had, anything that Todd McFarlane had. Um, but it's also a really good mystery, almost sort of crime story mm -hmm. about this disgraced superhero from a, in their world, a, a rather well-known uh, superhero team who basically is kind of more or less relegated to go back and live in his small town. He's not allowed to use his powers. Something must have happened, which basically made him like a complete disgrace in the public's eye. Yeah. And in layman's terms, some weird shit starts going on around him that he may or may not be able to do anything about. But it also involves people from his past who have uh, he has previously fought before. Uh, but the interesting thing about this is that, yeah, every story is technically double sided with yeah everything fleshing out the whole story that's another All... 90s kind of thing yeah. that definitely like scratched that itch for me like double-sided yeah. issues as a kid who were super important because you know you felt you felt and you were getting two comics for the cost of one comic you know? yeah so yeah. that so far i think has been incredibly fun um and one of the most intriguing things is that if you follow uh either of the um either of the artists behind it on social media they have been hinting at potential crossovers with other established 90s image uh titles i believe it was uh tim seeley who already showed that he was uh on his instagram that he was drawing an assortment of female characters from the 90s that may or may not be featured on i guess some sort of like maybe local man special uh yeah. including like witchblade which is a character I had not thought about in like ages. Um, but if you get a chance to go follow him online, it's, um, and I think actually in the local man gold, I think there actually was a crossover with, um, uh, gosh, I'm having such, I'm drawing a blank right now, but it's like one of Rob Liefeld's most infamous uh, comics. It sold astronomically at the beginning of image. Um, um, like, I mean, wildcats or it wasn't um, wildcats. It was, um, it, wow. You know what? Just go Google Rob Liefeld, uh, like high selling comic, and I'm pretty sure you'll find out what it is. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, let me just do it right now. <laughs> well, while you're looking that up, I mean, it, so yeah, while you're looking that up, just to kind of mention a little bit, oh, okay, Young Blood. Yeah, I have a couple of those. Um, uh, 
But yeah, actually to mention Tim Seeley for a second, one of the kind of honorable mentions that I was that I was wanting to was uh the Masterverse by uh Dark Horse Comics, the Masters of the Universe like He-Man oh, series cool. has been really fun. Um I don't think that if someone would have told me like, hey, you should pick up this He-Man comic, <laughs> I don't think that I would have gone out of my way. But it was interesting because it's kind of focusing on uh, some of the side characters in uh, Masters of the Universe mm -hmm. and not entirely, not entirely yet. A lot of it is He-Man, obviously, yeah. um, but not entirely just focusing on He-Man. And so I think the development within the stories is really fun. And that has, you know, that's written by Tim Seeley in this specific issue, the one I'm holding, number four. And I, I believe a lot of these are, um, if I'm remembering right, they're almost like more anthology stories. So you'll get like uh, way different art throughout the issue. And so kind of like crediting all of that, you know, right here, right now. It's That's just, cool. It's, it's really fun in that sense. Uh, but yeah, so when you're looking at like the issue, it's like Tim Seeley, Eddie Nunez, Daniel Lopez, uh, and Rico Renzi did, you know, colors for it. There's, there's tons. It's just like so many people in the industry. Uh, I think it's, they were pot. It was possible that they could revive something like uh, yeah. He-Man and make me yeah. want to read. Well, speaking of that, actually, uh, I'll give a couple honorable mentions, including Transformers by Daniel Warren Johnson and uh, Mike Spicer, uh, as Josh is holding it up right now. Yeah, that Dude, was, that yeah. Okay, yeah. so I did not grow up really watching the OG Transformers. I was a Beast Wars kid. Mm -hmm. um, but there's no denying that this book kicks fucking ass. <laughs> it is yeah, like watching really it is like watching it's you feel like a kid again, like you know, reading it. It's beautifully drawn, very much like a Daniel Warren Johnson, I think for like as you know, with you with Brubaker and Phillips, to me. Daniel Warren Johnson and Mike Spicer, when those two team together, I'm like, you're going to give me something I'm going to like. I mean, a comic book alone where Optimus Prime, German suplexes, I think it was like Soundwave, um, mm -hmm. and then rips off his own arm at one point on to beat another dude up. I was like, okay, that's pretty fucking hardcore. And not like in a too extreme way, but more like in a like, this is actually pretty rad. Um, yeah he's an unapologetic lover of like all things like that. Most people around like your age and mine would like, you know, big, like punk rock metal comic book, uh, fan, uh, pro wrestling fan, which is more on my end. <laughs> but, um, uh, but that's an honorable mention. I also wanted to give an honorable mention besides ones we were already talking about as well. Like I said, goodbye, Aerie. Um, I know this one's been very divisive, but I actually really like Tom King's wonder woman so far. Okay. Um, I know a lot of people are saying they think it's too political, and I was like, well, I mean, I get what you're saying, but I think it's been very fun so far. Um, it's what do very... they mean? It's political. Like, what's the so, angle of it? So the the concept of the new Wonder Woman is basically that the story opens with an Amazon killing uh some drunken assholes in a bar because <laughs> they basically were trying to like start shit with her and basically trying to be like touchy feely. And because of that, then the Amazons are put on like a put on like basically like the public, you know, opinion of them has really has really started to sway towards like anti-Amazon to the point where now, like if you were an Amazon living in America, they send like this SWAT team out to try to like, you know, either take you in or kill you. And she has to deal now with some radical assholes uh, and deal with basically trying to tell people like, look, like. It's it's very much you can see a lot of modern day politics and a lot of takes on like immigration, you know, in this story. Okay. Um, yeah. But it's hit all the spots for me so far. The last issue had a story where Wonder Woman took like a like a like a kid who like was part of like the Make-A-Wish Foundation who said, I want to go to Themyscira. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you can't take and they're like, I'm sorry, but you can't take, you know, any men on this island. I don't care if he's a boy. And she's like, dude, like we're all about love and like, why not welcome? And like, he's a kid, you know, like who are we to turn away? Like a, like a sick child. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty, it's kind of oddly touching. Um, yeah. But that's an honorable mention for me as well. Spine tingling Spider-Man is also one of the only other Marvel books I've been reading. Okay. And that's written by Saladin Ahmed uh, with artwork by Juan Ferreira. And 
that book is really driven by the incredibly creepy artwork in that book. It looks like something out of like scary stories that's like scary stories to tell in the dark. Um, and it's a concept of Peter Parker wakes up one day and discovers I don't have my powers, nobody knows who I am, nobody remembers who I am. What the hell is going on? I have to figure this out. And he runs afoul of some very bizarre, ghoulish characters. Um, it's only been, I think, I think there's only been three or four issues out so far, but everything has been hitting, hitting its mark for me. And it's a shame because like, it's a shame that this is the one Spider-Man book, which I think is only going to be a limited run is killing it. But I really do not like the current amazing Spider-Man run at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess like if anyone kind of listening, uh, oh, one more quick a shout out. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Rare flavors by Ron B and Felipe Andrade. That I think uh, will be wrapping up sometime this year. And if I'm allowed to cheat at the midway point next, or technically this year, that will probably be on my midway point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can you can do whatever. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think like a fun thing. So I actually have a few other uh, kind of honorable mentions. Oh and yeah. Then, we yeah, have more than something, Marian. you know, so a thing that I had a lot of fun getting this year. Uh, so Slaughterhouse Five, the graphic novel. Oh, I was uh, I was interested to see how that works. Yeah. I mean, the art's like really amazing. It goes through lots of different styles in it like that, that I feel like really fit something like Slaughterhouse Five, like the kind of like switching back and forth through the storyline mm-hmm. and kind of just switching up the art in places that don't always feel like the same artist uh mm-hmm. so it's really well done um you know it's it's something that i haven't like sat down and read completely through because i've read the book itself uh, a few times in my life <laughs> but just kind of looking at the art throughout is it's really astounding and that's by ryan north and albert montes um and so i would definitely pick that that up uh, and that's from this is actually from boom um, so oh. we have some boom representation yeah. on this. Yeah. So it's through their book format, which is they call Archaia. Um, but yeah, but that's Boom Studios. So yeah. I would yeah, say so. uh, Rare Flavors is put up by Boom Studios as well. So uh, they're not completely opposite from this list. Shout out to Boom. You guys are a great company. Yeah. And okay, so this is one that I actually got because it just sounded so interesting, but I never opened it. And um, but I feel like it's like the I wanted to kind of bring it up because I feel like if anyone's read this, um, so Parasocial and that is by Alex DeCampi and Erica Henderson. And this is Image Comics as well, but it's also a book. And so the synopsis of it is in the middle of a of the pandemic, a fading genre TV actor fresh from his long running series cancellation collides with an obsessive fan at a Texas convention. So this is. It's like horror thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I heard some people talking about like the art and stuff. And then actually with going through my book and I sent you a video of it, uh, you know, going to trying to find the books, there was so much stuff that I didn't really <laughs> kind of like what I was talking <laughs> about with after I ended the job, after I got laid off, I just kind of like got a final shipment and of stuff and then just like didn't really want to fuck with it. But I remember being excited uh, in picking that up and just kind of like, not really being able to dig in so if anyone has and they want to like say hey i did really like that then i will go ahead and start reading it right away um so do you have any other honorable mentions uh yeah a couple more um my number one of the midway year was superman by uh, by josh williamson still a very good book dropped down a little bit for me only for the fact that just there was more stuff that came out that was i think just better Mm -hmm. um also, speaking of DC, Peacemaker Tries Hard, still a very fun book. Uh, only lasted six issues, but uh, when that comes out in trade, I highly encourage people to, to read that if they like the TV series. Um, one that I know is a somewhat of a divisive book, but I have a real joy reading I Hate Fairyland by Scotty Young. Yeah, I have um, this, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just goofy, s- silly shit that is very reminiscent of stuff like Ren and Stimpy, except thankfully it's not created by a pervert. And... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean a couple of no the nasty what that also was on my midway year mm-hmm. list. Um, gosh, I mean if there's anything else I'm forgetting, then I think I might have already shouted out damn near everything I could think of. Yeah, well I can't really call this an honorable mention because it came out. Uh, I believe I mean many years ago. This is like 
I don't know, 2006 or something. I don't know. But uh, All-Star Superman. I picked Oh, it up recently. such a such a good And book. it was, uh, yeah, used. And I, I've been told that uh, the new James Gunn Superman movie might be pulling stuff from this as, like, plot. Uh, but I've been, I was kind of, like, interested in picking this up. I think, actually, something funny happened halfway through the year is whenever you were talking about You were talking about liking that new Superman comic. And, and then it kind of got me on a Superman kick. And I picked up like the Death of Superman, a series. And then this, so I guess ending my year by picking up All-Star Superman. So I guess we're both kind of like on a Superman kick. Like when someone can crack the code and do it, um, I feel like it's fun. And I know that negates something I said earlier. I think that the thing is like when you really can break that formula, And do something new or either something that just feels fresh, um, you know, even like just kind of reintroduces you to a character that you're like, I've had enough of, you know, uh, I, it feels like All-Star Superman is that and the Superman that you were talking about that run is doing kind of the same thing in a different Yeah, way. he is a good character that just needs the right person to remind you that he is he's a good person, He needs to be you know, evil. like, We yeah, need an <laughs> evil. yes, we need another evil Superman story. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. And we need edgy stuff like, well, you know, I'm so We need glad we're we need getting the, out of that. we we need the Superman that didn't fly, that wasn't wearing the costume, was going to fight a giant spider in the third act. Yeah, that's just like beaten off in the sky, like just Yes. like that kind of Superman. Like, but I mean, it's funny, though, because it's like I feel like what a thing that local man does that's fun is it, it it's able to kind of like. thread the needle and not go too far into like edgy. It doesn't really go into edgy territory so much. Like maybe it's, maybe it's because of the drawing, the way the drawing is that kind of reminds you of more like a nineties image thing. I somehow, it just feels more comforting than edgy. Like there's, there's a way that when I look back on like Ennis stuff, it feels kind of cringy to read now, uh, Some of it is. you know, and like, I appreciate it. And I think it's, it was super important for the time. And also a thing that it's like, if you haven't read preacher, then go do it. But like, now that I go back to it, it's like, did we need all this? You know, you know, like, but it, I think it was super important to like the kind of idea of like free speech and comics in the nineties or eighties and nineties and stuff like that. But stuff that's just like, I appreciated this when I was younger, but now it just feels so exhausting. Like I say that and I'll watch like a new, the new boys or something, but it's not technically what I want to pick up, you know? Well, I was going to say, like, you know, potentially unpopular opinion, but the boys television show is so much better than the comic. Um, I'd like, agree. Yeah. yeah, like, I mean, Ennis is a curious case where I kind of credit him for getting me back into comics, to be honest. Mm hmm. Um, I picked up Preacher at Walden Books when I was started working there. And uh, I was like, hmm, I think this is kind of my shit. I uh, I think I might like this quite a bit, actually. And um. So far, um, it's definitely a case of where I think Ennis works best when he is kind of on a leash. And when he's let off the leash, uh, things can be a little Yeah. 50 Yeah. 50. Like, I mean, it's, it's like, once again, of course, like Ennis is super important to the, the, the fabric of, you know, comicdom. But I think also what became like a problem and it wasn't necessarily Ennis's thing is that kind of, it's almost like you get too much of a thing. You know, it's like, if you tell, if you tell a family member, you're like, I like this cake. And then you, they just start making you that cake a lot. And it kind of like when other people started doing their version of Ennis, that's probably almost what I dislike more than Ennis itself. Ennis, I love, Yeah. but it's like when you get these other things that aren't, are trying to be Garth Ennis, like, I don't want that, you know, like it's, Yeah. you know, so, so it's kind of like, I appreciate Ennis for what it is or that type of thing. But it is fun to see something like local man going back to that. Like they are able to kind of twist it and not be like a life field, like kind of insert some more of them into it. So that's like a fun thing. So Yeah. I guess before we're done, uh, I had one more. This isn't an honorable mention. I guess you could say it's a dishonorable mention. I was going to say, I'm like, mm, Yeah. let's see. <laughs> Let me explain it first, because I think when I told you I wanted to do this. Uh, so what I what I what I texted you was like. bring your worst comic of the year and 
And like, I, I might've said Ooh. it different, but like, um, but basically I think you said bring your dumbest comic that works too. Yeah. Um, this so actually, like... this fits more in dumb because I think it's actually not, it's not technically like when I started looking through it more, I was kind of like really actually impressed by the art, but it's just like such a silly concept that it exists. So I'll get right into it. So there's Alice Cooper, the comic. Oh, I kind of wanted to read that because I really like <laughs> Rodney Barnes, but I was like, yeah, I don't know if I can. <laughs> like, it's like the art's really good. And from kind of like, I haven't really gone through all of it, but it's like, it's almost feels like, you know, it's, it's like someone were like, Hey, you know, I want to pay you to write this. So why the fuck wouldn't you do it? And so you just make the best of a situation. Like this essentially feels like it's like promoting his newest record. Uh, and it's just kind of even without the year we had with Alice Cooper, I I think like it's, it just feels in hindsight even more cringe. Did he yeah. do anything this year at all? Uh, he besides he probably did, like, say a, something extremely stupid. Yeah, he said something stupid where someone okay, how like Alice Cooper's like what in his seventies? I would assume. Yeah, he's and he's, he's, he's always there. been. I think he like is conservative. Like he's like said that, but he doesn't really talk about his politics. But someone kind of gotcha at him, and I don't think that's necessarily the right word to use for it, but like essentially asked him what he thought about like trans kids. And it was just oh, like I what do remember you, this. What do you think was gonna happen? Yeah, <laughs> like, I remember this. You know, oh. I understand that it's like it's an honest thing to ask somebody, but it's kind of like, you're not going to get a good answer out of any aging rock star. Like, yeah. it's almost like we need to, it's like if someone were like, Oh, what did Ted Nugent say? And it's like, nothing yeah. good. Like, let's yeah. stop talking to Ted Nugent. Yeah. Like let Ted Nugent disappear. Let Alice Cooper disappear. Like, yeah. let it or another, bad. or another recent example, Cherry Curry, um, who I don't I, even Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can like, tell me, but I'm like, God, I don't, nah, I, I know it's I, not going to be good. I don't want to end this episode in a sour note. So um, I will bring up my thing I brought for Dumb's okay, comic, good. but yeah. the, it, well, I will say it first, the Alice Cooper art is really good. So if you pick it up, <laughs> it's on dynamite. The, uh, you know, Rodney Barnes is great. Um, the art is really good. Um, so to give it a little bit more of a positive spin uh, and now back to you, Ryan. So I do not want to end uh, <laughs> episode on a sour note. So I will say my dumbest comic I bought is actually the, I think the one that I, last bought and it was an ongoing series and only well a mini series only lasted for about four issues but it's fun dumb and that is as i can get in the shot batman santa claus silent night okay okay yeah <laughs> so this book is stupid it is silly but yeah. it is fucking entertaining mm -hmm. and the as if the title wasn't going to give you give it away it's first of all it's written by jeff parker and the art is by Michelle Bandini and Trevor Harrison. Apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. Yeah, uh, Jeff but, Parker does some really good stuff. Yeah, but yeah. this book had no right being as fun as it was. And you like, I described, I remember this as like a guilty pleasure to one of my coworkers. And they're like, excuse me? And yeah. I was like, trust me, it's better than it should be. And that's Batman and Santa Claus, who apparently Batman is known uh, Santa Claus for a long time and actually potentially may have even trained under him in something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, teaming up to take down Krampus, the demon, and mm -hmm. other otherworldly creatures. Yeah. Um, it is very fun. I'm sure it will not be collected in trade for quite a bit of time because DC has a tendency to take a while before they put out stuff in trade. Mm -hmm. And if you are going to pick it up, um, if it's still in print by this time next year, it would make a, a great Christmas gift for the comic aficionado or comic fan in your family, or just for a fan of Batman. The artwork is pretty solid, although it does kind of falter a little bit in the final issue, but there's nothing quite as charming as seeing like all these other DC heroes kind of like all react, like, wait a minute, like you're real. Like all the stuff that like we've seen and like, we assume that like you of all things were at least imaginary. Like all the other stuff was real, but he's like, Oh, I'm sure I'm very real. And he names like their names and about what you wanted at like this age when you were like five. Yeah. And it's, it's very, very cute, very charming. The fact that, and I know it kind of, we talked about Superman earlier, but one of the issues ends with 
Superman just coming in to help out in the battle and he just shoots this very childlike stare at Batman going like you didn't tell me you knew Santa Claus <laughs> wow um, but, but yeah, yeah dumb fun but fun is the key word and yeah. it's got some really great um, uh, alternate covers this one here which is Harley Quinn holding up a uh, tied up Santa Claus is by uh, Lyrics I'm spelled l-e-i-r-i-x mm-hmm. um but yeah so that's my pick for dumb fun but it is dumb <laughs> yeah yeah i guess actually it, so if we have any sort of like uh a rich fan out there um so because i lost my job <laughs> uh, i stopped uh working with the person that i was doing uh the kind of web comic a band named bunny and the next step that we had intended was we were going to compile that webcomic into a first issue, but kind of both of us not having jobs. So as to put our own money into putting a comic out. Um, so if anyone uh, puts out comics, if I don't know if that would ever happen, like anyone listening to us and you put out comics, um, I do want to get that out uh, next year if my employment changes. But yeah, the, but that was something I was... I guess I'm proud to say that I wrote a comic last year. You know, it didn't get to have a physical release, but uh, I'm pretty damn cool. Yeah. So that was the intention was to compile all that together into like uh, a first issue or kind of like really the kind of that would have been the thrust of that full story. And then we kind of see where we're going after that. Uh, So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I guess if you don't hear more about that, then you'll see us. Well, on the regular feed, on the regular episodes, and you'll see us, if not, uh, in the middle of the year. Yes. And uh, yeah, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, Feel free to pick up any of these titles as soon as you possibly can. And hey, support your local comic book shops. Times are hard right now, and they could use all the TLC they possibly can.